0: Welcome into episode 241 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is as always presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations, us on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way, by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859 859- 543 You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. That was a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Just- Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health and a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental Team looks forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you?
1: I am fantastic, Jack Pilgrim. But the one thing that I noticed, I've got to get a background for this. You're just you're showing me up with the the backdrop you've got there, and I've got the corner of my apartment. (laughs) So I've got to do something about that.
0: So this is this is a Doctor Mike special. So when when I got we just moved into this new house, and I specifically because he has this absolute monster of a printer uh, where he can print his professional photos. Like he took this picture at the Oh, I love that. Yeah, I actually saw that one at, at in his office that, that you took. That I think he might have that hung up in his office because it's such an amazing picture. Um, yeah, this is his picture from the 2012 national championship, and I'm gonna adjust on the fly here. I got my uh, 2012 ch- uh, championship floor and a little bracket there, and then I got I got to figure out what to do on the big wall over here. I still don't know what to do yet, but the office is very quickly coming together, but. Uh, yeah, a, a, a great time to celebrate. Hopefully, we can be like here, maybe a couple weeks, somewhere like right around here. That'd be that'd be a great. Time.
1: Yeah, you you know what else is quickly coming together? This uh, NCAA tournament resume that Kentucky's starting to put together now. So it's uh, three straight episodes of Happy Sean. I saw that comment earlier, that reply, and uh, man, what a weekend that was.
0: Uh, I know it, it. And how's my audio sounding? It just said I l- a lost connection with the uh, mic. Is the mic still coming through?
1: I've got you good now. You're actually better than what you were. Better
0: than what you were. All right. Cool. Well, if I have any uh, any questions or comments about it, let me know. If my starts sucking, I'm not sure what, what the deal was there, but uh, yeah, a a major major reason to celebrate today: an 86-54 win, a beatdown over the Auburn Tigers. Four straight wins for the Cats. Sean and I, I just watched the rewatch the game before we got started. Uh, it looked even better on on camera than the, you know being there in person. It, it obviously looked amazing as it was unfolding live in front of me at Rupp Arena. But watching the replay on the game, the Cats looked absolutely unbelievable. Um, that to, to close out the first half, they they close out on a 9-0 run, looked really good. But we've seen them do that before. We've seen them struggle, you know, struggle to open up second halves, and it's always been a Jekyll and Hyde tale of two halves the first time we saw a complete 40 minutes uh, and, and so much to be excited for Sean I, I know you have plenty of takes and we have a whole show to get through it to talk about how exciting these takes are but uh, just just your thoughts on the, the fact that Kentucky was able to put together two complete halves.
1: Dominant win like they've had a lot of close games where they had to execute down the stretch and, and that's good to see that they can do that in those moments but I think the the biggest thing that I take away from it is it was a complete forty minutes, as you said. They played a, a good first half, put a great second half. Uh, the energy in the building w- was good, and just an overall beatdown. Something that had been missing from this team, like the, you hadn't had that against a, a quality opponent or anything. And I mean, I know that you know Auburn came in, and it wasn't the maybe the the quad one or whatever that we were talking about for for weeks and stuff leading up to it. But it ended up being a good win. Uh, the way that Kentucky won the game. I mean, you're looking at the way that they shot from the floor, 56% and uh, the numbers from the three point line, the free throw line, they just all over the stat sheet. And then you look and Kentucky's dude, Oscar Shibwe dominant 22 and 17, another consistent approach and game from Jacob Toppin in a game where Chris Livingston only had six and two Jacob follows suit and goes 13 and 12 and, and five assists. And, You got Antonio Reeves cooking. You got Kaysen Wallace doing his thing. You got a lot of guys playing well right now. And just the, to me, the joy that this team is playing with is what's the biggest difference in the last two weeks. And I mean, I, I tweeted out today, 12 days ago, Kentucky was on the bubble. Now they're in the AP top 25 at number 23. I don't know if I ever remember that turnaround, whether it be good and then go bad or bad and go to good. I don't remember it. In in Kentucky, I don't. But I'm sure there have been teams that have that done it and played their way in. But I said it on the last episode on Thursday. They were cracking, on breaking back into the top 25. It took a massive blowout to get there, but look where they sit. And now they're one of the hottest teams in college basketball, probably one of the the favorites to win the SEC tournament in Nashville here in a couple of weeks. And, I mean, look at what this team's doing. And here I was two weeks ago saying that I didn't know if John Calipari was going to survive this season or how could he. And here we are again. Every time I go and think, well, maybe it's dying. Here he comes. And then here comes Kentucky.
0: Yeah. And that was obviously a a big point of conversation, both in his post-game radio and in his press conference. Uh, Denzel Hall made a really funny joke uh, when we first got started. Jack, you cannot talk me out of listening to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) A lot of uh, local media and national media talking Kentucky in or out of the NCAA tournament. And, And look, Two weeks ago, this team was not an NCAA tournament team, and, and I thought we were very fair on this show in addressing that the resume was what it was. They we woke up on that Sunday morning after the the loss in Athens, where Kentucky was one and seven in quad one games. They had a quad four loss at home against South Carolina. The rest of the the schedule was six six games left. Of those six, four of them were quad one opportunities. Nothing about how the cats had been playing up to that point in that specific stretch led you to believe that uh, this magic turnaround was going to, was going to happen. And and I I don't think it's unfair to say that the feelings and the emotions that we had after that loss in Athens, you know, obviously dating back to the South South Carolina loss in, in, you know, earlier in the year, but that loss in particular, it just felt, okay, if we're six games away from the, the end of this regular season, why do we just think it's going to magically get put together now? So I, I, I get it. John Calipari always performs better when he has an enemy and, and we've seen it be coach K. We've seen it be the national media, you know, the, the, uh, Jeff Goodman's and the Pat 40s and you know, those, those types, we've seen it be Rick Patino this year. I think it's just going to be the media and the people that have, uh, internally, kind of hate it, hate it on him, quote unquote, or whatever. And, and if that's what it takes to put together a late season magical turnaround and a Final Four run after what we went through nine and sixteen two years ago, Saint Peter's last year, if that's what it takes to get that reward, this reward, hate me, I I, I love it. Like I I can I can be the chip on your shoulder, I can be the enemy. I, that's fine. I love this team. I'm a I I what we saw at home uh, against. Auburn on Saturday leads me to believe that that this team is capable of something like that. And if you need that as bulletin board material or whatever, I'll I'll keep saying what I need to say or or, or whatever whatever it is. Because if if this is the end end result, I'm all for it. Because this team is is absolutely clicking at the right time.
1: They are, and I said it. I can't remember if it was after Tennessee or which game it was, but I was talking about that there were six games left. In the regular season and to win a national championship, you have to win six in a row. So I said, now's the perfect opportunity to kind of go on a run here and show me that you can do it, especially with the quality opponents that were coming up. The the quad one road game at Florida, the, the quad one game at home against Tennessee and just everything and kind of in between with what they were doing. So now you've got four out of the way and you've got two coming up that we will, I know get to this week, but they're playing really good basketball. It it's one of those things that the, the committee is going to look at this thing and we will get into that when we get down to the updated resume section. But the committee's going to look at this. And I'm telling you, what you do in November, it does matter. November basketball does matter when it comes to resume and quad ones and whatever you're doing out of conference. But this is a team that doesn't have really anything to show for in the non-conference schedule, but it's making up for it in league play. But it's playing really good at the right time. And that's what I think the committee's going to pay attention to, is how is Kentucky trending compared to how these other teams that maybe were playing good basketball in November – in December that aren't playing good basketball now, but Kentucky is. So the ceiling for me with seating, I I said a six the other day. I actually think that it might be changing and possibly pushing into a five, which we will get to as we move throughout. But the way they're playing basketball, if they continue this surge, keep racking up some quad ones. I know they got another one coming up here this week, but keep racking up quad ones, get into that league tournament, get a couple more, go on a winning streak into March. Jack, and I think that you're talking about a team that was looking at being on the first four out, last four in. Possibly playing their way into a five twelve or a six eleven in the NCAA tournament.
0: Uh, well, I mean, if you look at bracket matrix matrix right now, uh, Kentucky is the second eight seed overall with an average seed of seven point six three. Uh, just a game ago, they were I think eight point four one or something like that. So they're already trending the right direction. Uh, I think the highest seed they have so far is a six, and that's with two more games left. That's with a home matchup against Vandy and the road trip to Fayetteville to close out the regular season. So, if you look at just kind of where things are right now, Kentucky's 20 in the net right now. Um it just came out at the it, back in the AP poll for the first time since December 26th, I believe. So, like I don't know how this resume right now looking at again, and it's just so crazy to think that that 2 weeks ago they had no resume and now they're pushing almost 6 Quad one games, Michigan's right there on the cusp of being a quad one. Did, did they officially jump to quad one status yet? Or are they right on the cusp still?
1: They're not there yet, I don't think. I was looking at Vanderbilt's uh, resume, which I'll get to in a second and what they're doing, but let me go check that because uh, they uh, they're on. Michigan is
0: 55 right now. Wait, how did they go down after beating? Well,
1: in and that's the thing when it comes to the net, like it's very confusing, right? When you look at what it is, Tennessee with what they've been doing is still sitting at number three in the net. And then you got Michigan who's doing what they're doing and, and they don't move a ton. So like, I don't know, like it's, it's, but that needs to get to 50. If it does, then Kentucky adds another quad one win on a neutral site. And uh, Texas AM and at 27, you want that to stay in that top or in, in the top 30 there. That way it stays a quad one as well. So We were watching a ton of games a year ago, if you remember, going into the SEC tournament where we were saying, I think it was Vandy last year where the one in Nashville was kind of creeping on becoming a quad one. So there's going to be a couple to watch. But even if they don't, let's say the A&M game shifts to a quad two and Michigan stays quad two, what Kentucky's doing right now and how they're playing I think is significantly more important than if those wins flip-flop to a one or a two. Because, yeah, it helps your resume and it may bump you a five seed or a six seed. But I still think the not even the overall body of work. I think it's the where what are you doing now, mentality because it's 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 what's most recent, right? Like, do you remember every single game that was played in college basketball in November? Some of the big ones, like even some of the big wins, I've forgotten about them. But I remember how teams are playing right now because it's recent and it's fresh. And I think when you go in there, you take these bodies of work, but then again, you also have the eye test, and you're seeing what's happening now. And Kentucky has done this run shorthanded. Like they've not done it without the the Koozie Award finalist that they had that everybody thought was going to kind of lead the charge. It's been Casey Wallace, which has ended up being a, a successful change and a successful shift. But you've been without C.J. Frederick. You, you've been without other pieces at times. So what Kentucky's doing and how they've done it and regrouped, I think that that's going to stand a lot and will we'll help Kentucky when it comes to Selection Sunday, just as much as their body of work is going to help.
0: Joe Harmon says you guys realize if Texas A&M loses at Ole Miss they play Alabama that would make Kentucky the runner up in the SEC, if we won out the last two amazing shift. Uh, I guess it does come down to that you're talking about Texas A&M potentially being on that quad one quad quad two line right there at 27 part of you wants to root for Texas A&M to continue to win the last two games just so it does stay at the quad one line. But at the same, on the same note, if they lose these last two games, Kentucky is the number two seed in Nashville. But there is almost that sense of, it doesn't matter if if five, six, seven, two in Nashville versus three. at, At what point do we just say Kentucky is steamrolling these teams right now? We just saw them play their, their best all-around performance of the year, locked in defensively for the first time, and who knows how long responded to punches getting thrown their way. You know, we've seen uh, – that was, you know, one of the biggest talking points after the Georgia game is that the players before the game said, yeah, we know Georgia's going to want to throw that first punch. And we are like, well, why can't Kentucky be the one to throw the first punch? Kentucky threw that first punch uh, against uh, Auburn at home. The back and forth between Janai Broom and and Oscar Sheboy was amazing to start with. And then, Oscar, you know, Janai was clearly trying to impose his will on Oscar. Oscar would respond right back on the other end of the floor and and just kind of kept throwing the haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. Uh, And it just felt like this this team is capable of being the knockout specialist now. They – put together the knockout in the second second half against Auburn that we just have not seen them do uh, all season long the guys that are make that are were supposed to be the shot makers and the shot creators are creating and making now Uh the, the, the you know is becoming an unbelievable playmaker and facilitator and his court vision is improved i mean he's just getting so so freaking good as a playmaker as the lead guard now and you know the first comment that John Calipari said said after the win was, was the impact that C.J. Frederick coming back to play. Seven minutes, didn't do anything, didn't even record, take a single shot, but his impact just uh, give guys that need breathers a, a breather. Because, yeah, there is that slight concern that Kaysen's back spasms flare up again or, you know, Adu Thero is thrown into the starting lineup or, you know, needing to play high level of minutes. Uh, just getting guys healthy and having that top seven. If you can get Xavier and C.J. back going into even Nashville – uh, those seven, I, I I'm taking those seven and throwing them against anybody else in college basketball right now, especially in the SEC. I I really really like what I saw uh, on Saturday against Auburn.
1: Yeah, given the way they're playing as a team right now, like like I said, this was you know Chris Livingston had, had his big games, and then uh, he he kind of slides back to you know six and two, and but still played 23 minutes, and Jacob Toppin, consistent Jacob Topping. I'm, I'm telling you, that is where. I think a lot of the success lies is in his game and his development in league play. This is not the same guy that we were watching play basketball in November and December. Like He is efficient in everything he's doing. I mean, look at the stat sheet right now. There's We know Oscar, how he impacts the game. We know he can impact it with some scoring and some garbage buckets and some other things that he's doing, but it's always the rebounding category. Jacob is starting to do some of the stuff that Kaysen does, where he shows up in multiple lines on the stat sheet You look at this, 13 points, four offensive rebounds, eight defensive rebounds, 12 rebounds total, five assists, only one turnover and a steal in 33 minutes. Jacob Topham, it's just consistent basketball from him for about the last, i say last month almost. Even when Kentucky was losing games, I thought Jacob was still doing some things well. But this stretch of him finding his identity, it's taken three years, but he's found it. And you find, now you see Antonio Reeves building confidence and being that shot maker that Kentucky needs. That if he hits one, he might hit four in a row. And they've got that shot maker, that consistent guy. CJ Frederick coming back, like you said, I thought it was huge. I thought just being able to spell guys for a few minutes here and there, just to add some depth and to get back on the floor. Like if it's just six or seven minutes a game from him the rest of the way, if that's all he can give you, especially like in games like that, it goes a long way. And I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with Sevier. I don't know where things are going there. But any kind of depth helps at this point. But John Calipari has found his mix. And I don't see him going away from it at any point. Even if Kentucky gets fully healthy, I don't think anything goes away. I don't think John Calipari shifts and changes anything that he's doing lineup-wise and rotation-wise unless his hand is forced to do it with an injury, foul trouble, or something happens in postseason play. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he he's found the mix and, and what works. And uh, how about Oscar Shiboy, you know, and the open in the floor spacing, stepping out from the floor. It might, you know, the people that was talking about uh, putting him back at the basket and they moved him out on the floor. It, it's actually opened things up a lot for Kentucky offensively. And you got a, got a lot of guys playing well because of it.
0: it yeah, I, I think those two things have gone hand in hand. Just the, the way Oscar, not being an anchor, just kind of, black hole inside I think him kind of taking a step back and allowing the space around him to to kind of work together a whole lot better uh, I think that's been huge but uh, going back to Jacob he's now hit 11 of his last 23 point attempts uh, in SEC play seven of his last 10 overall his ability to just do everything at this point like he's had up and ups and downs bigger than anybody else on this roster, Sean. And, and uh, Aaron asked a great question, is Toppin the true leader of this team? They seem to have gone the way that he has gone mentally and physically. I think I, I couldn't agree more with that uh, because we have seen this team play at its worst whenever Jacob is playing at his worst. When he's not locked in uh, on either end of, end of the floor, uh, the, the team isn't. It just feels like the team does come and go as Jacob comes and goes. And uh, and it it has been so refreshing, and just watch, rewatching the game today, seeing Jacob be that second chance guy, and and getting the the putbacks and the you know fighting on the glass and crashing the glass, and you, you know getting the occasional lob in transition to just kind of set the tone to to change to shift momentum and and do the little things like that, and then just catch and shoot threes at the top of the key, and and just when the shots have come to him, taking them and making them, uh, that. Effort is the difference on this team. I I, I think so. The the biggest question we had about this team midway through the year is that nobody at the four spot had emerged. Chris Livingston wasn't that guy. You know, he was having the role and position concerns and Damian wasn't that guy at the four. Lance obviously wasn't going to be a great, great fit alongside Oscar. It just felt like it was do or die with Jacob Toppin and the team was sinking as he was sinking, and it just sucked because you knew he had it in and we saw him do it in the Bahamas and and just random flashes, but for him to put together the stretch and and I I want to get the stats right Uh, 12 consecutive double figure scoring nights 14 of his last 16. Like he's and and that's not even accounting for what he's doing as a rebounder and, and what he's doing defensively. He's get, he's locking in defensively when he was not earlier in the year. Uh, it just it just does feel like this team will go as far as Jacob Toppin does, especially if he has to keep ma- maintain this and keep it up. Uh, but if if Jacob maintains this level of production going into March, all bets are off. I I, I truly believe that.
1: Yep, I, I agree. And the thing with Jacob too, the offensive numbers. It's the uh, it's the you know, the it's not a ton of shots. Like it's not like he's out here shooting 15, 16 shots a game and getting these numbers. It's an efficient double figure scoring effort for 12 straight. And now the rebounding's showing up consistently. Uh, back-to-back double doubles, and then you get the assist numbers we're climbing for the last game. And he's had some games where he's had high assist numbers, and it's just the impact that he can make in significant like games in the SEC in a number of different categories, whether it be steals, rebounds, points. Uh, just energy. This is the best version of Jacob Toppin. This is the version that me and you've been talking about on this show for now three seasons that we were hoping we would see at some point. This was the version that everybody, that everybody screaming last year that he should have played more minutes than Keon did was just the overall ceiling and the potential that, that Jacob could reach if he had the opportunity to do it. And I think that's why you're seeing him do it now is because he's had to play. He's had to play a ton and he's not been playing behind anybody. He's had to play alongside Chris. And I think that's why you're seeing them both emerge and do their thing. And we, look, we spent the last two episodes talking, like just raving about Chris Livingston. And we're probably not going to do it on this one. That's a good thing because who are we talking about today? Oscar Sheebly's dominant effort. Antonio Reeves scorching hot. Jacob Toppin's consistency. Like Case and Wallace. Like just because Chris didn't have the same output that he had the two games before, somebody else picked it up in the same area And that's why I was grouping these guys as pairs just a couple of weeks ago, that it doesn't have to be – this isn't a team where I think it's one guy, then if one guy doesn't play well, I think Kentucky crumbles. As long as you have consistency in those areas. If you got a shot maker every game, and you got one of those two and Chris or Jacob that are having a consistent game, Kentucky is going to be fine as long as they defend, make shots, play with energy. Look, this – This team, this is a team that no one wants to see in their bracket. I don't care if it's a one seed, two seed. You get matched up with Kentucky in that first weekend. If let's say Kentucky slides into a seven and they're playing a two, that number two seed probably isn't feeling too good about where they're at. And then depending on location and where that game is played at geographically, we know that Kentucky fans are going to fill the building. It's the same thing if Kentucky ends up being as a five or a six. Like, this is a team that honestly, like, Given where they are, you could, if they were a one seed, I'd feel good about them, how they're playing right now. If they're a 10 seed, I feel good about where they're playing, how they're playing right now. They're getting hot at the right time. I agree with the graphic. It is the hottest team in the SEC right now. Tell me, tell me someone that's hotter. I mean, I know Alabama is right there at the top, but when it comes to how a team was playing weeks ago and how they're playing now, we've also seen that same Alabama team lay a couple of duds. There's no dominant team in college basketball. I I firmly believe that there's not that team that you just look at right now and I circle and say, that's your national champion. Or if Kentucky gets up against them, I don't think Kentucky can beat them. I know Alabama's been a problem for Kentucky, but I think that there's no dominant team, and if Kentucky just gets in this tournament, plays good basketball, Jack, they've got a chance. It's not like that every season, but it is this season.
0: I mean that stat right there from Ben from Kentucky. No one is talking about the fact that only 11 teams in major conferences have eight eight losses or less. Yeah. I mean, if there was ever a year for Kentucky to struggle the way it has for half of the year, I mean, shoot, almost three quarters of the year, and just figure things out at the right time and have the guy and you know have the guys who were struggling in in. We're trying to find their roles and who they their identities as basketball players find their footing you know antonio Rees find his footing as a you know an sec level basketball player compared to illinois state if there was ever a year for a really long adjustment period and i just go back sean to those early conversations with john calipari and the the tweet video that he put out where he was like guys it's going to be a rough start it's going to be a really slow start to the season you guys are going to be need to be patient i remember we were like "Oh." Stop it, Cal. Here here he goes again, just being silly, Cal. No, the team was not very good to start the year, like admittedly not very good. And it just felt like they were running out of time. It'd be like the hourglass was flipped over and you could just see the sand just like almost coming to an end. We're like, I don't know if there's enough time left in the season to get this thing figured out. And I think Oscar Shebaway had a quote uh, two games ago where he said that, you know, kind of the refuse to lose mentality. They're they're using a quote from uh, Michael Jordan, who said, I I never lost a game. I just ran out of time in all those games. And I think that's the mentality that this team has right now. It's like, all right, throw all of it behind us. Everything that happened earlier, throw Missouri, throw South Carolina, throw Georgia, throw UCLA, Gonzaga, you know, all of those losses and bad performances and, and lack of effort and intensity and tenacity and all those, put that all behind us. Let's focus on what matters most. The 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 on and I didn't believe them. I mean, the on paper, there there were there was enough time on paper technically, but for them to just to, to flip the script the way they have at this point, while everybody else is kind of wavering, kind of plateauing a little bit, and they continue to climb. I mean, I agree. There, there's nobody else in college basketball that that has me thinking. Well, that that's the one loss uh, that if if we got matched up against them in, in March, so that's the one loss. There's just not one one team out there right now.
1: No, and uh, I was looking at Vanderbilt earlier, and I know like it doesn't do anything for your resume, but I think I really like where this game's at just because Vandy's playing very well. I know they lost that game at LSU last Wednesday, but other than that, they've won six of seven. They've beaten Tennessee. They've swept Florida. They beat a South Carolina team that beat Kentucky at Rupp Arena, and they beat Auburn, and they're playing really good basketball. And they do have three quad one wins on their resume and four and, four and one and quad two. Like, this isn't a game that's going to add to your resume. It's not going to do. It's not going to show up on Selection Sunday. But I just look at this thing and I'm like, look, this is the this is the perfect thing that you want. You, I think you don't want a bad team walking into Rupp Arena where you're just going to beat up on them. You want somebody coming in that's playing good basketball that's going to give you a challenge that's forcing you to continue playing your best. And I think this is the perfect opponent coming in here. Kentucky's going to have to play well to beat Vandy again. Vandy's playing much better basketball now than they were the last time, you know, Kentucky played them. And I think it's the perfect game to close the regular season. It's going to be senior night. Got a lot of guys going through festivities. I know we'll we'll get to that and stuff as well, because that, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to senior night right now. They're just going through it. But I like where this game is, Jack, because you got a road trip to Fayetteville to close the regular season on Saturday but right now, I don't think Kentucky cares who's walking in the door and playing them. I don't care. I don't think they care if it's Vandy or if it's Duke. The mindset that they're playing with right now is what we have done in this locker room over the course of the last 14 days has shifted whatever we were doing prior to this. And if that's John Calipari or if that's player led or if that's the entire program led, I don't know. I don't know what the mix is and what the the secret sauce is that they're they're doing right now. But whatever it is, it's working. Don't mix it. Don't mess it up. Keep doing it, and I mean, look at the fan base right now. Like you would, you wouldn't even know that this team struggled for three months with the vibe around the fan base right now and on Twitter. And it's Kentucky basketball. Every time that we get sucked into thinking, man, that's it, this is it. It's not. They're not going to make a run. They're not going to have a shot. And we had every right to believe that two weeks ago. And then Kentucky comes out of nowhere. John Calipari gets his team right. And I see a lot of dudes right now having fun and a lot of smiles on the floor, and I think that's the biggest shift in energy is the smiles and their guy, the guys are having fun. Oscar shibway isn't kind of complaining or doing anything anymore. He's back to playing basketball and just letting it be. Whatever he's done, he's changed his approach to it too because he's the leader of this thing. And his positivity on the floor last year was one of the biggest things for this team, and I feel like he's found himself too. I think a lot of these guys really lost who they were. Cal lost who he was. I think the guys lost who they were. You had guys trying to figure out who they were. They didn't even even know. Identities have been formed and developed. And I think that this team has found something in the mix the last two weeks that's going to continue pushing into uh, tournament play. But you want to see it continue Wednesday night against Vandy. Uh,
0: Kevin Hall says, It seems like uh, that since Tyler Eulis joined the bench, things have uh, begun to trend upward. I, I kind of think that there's something to that, or at least some in uh, Kentucky, Man 15. How much impact has uh, Ulyss had? So he was announced after the Missouri loss. It was to close out the the uh, the 20. I guess in December, I guess tra- kind of transitioning into SEC play. It was right after the Missouri loss. Um, I think that's where the conversation started, uh, and it does feel like since then. And I guess that is a pretty significant sample size. But I don't know. It just seems like since John Calipari brought up the that Tyler kind of helped from the bench with the mismatch with Chris Livingston against Mississippi State, it just does feel like the vibe has been a lot different with him kind of anchoring a lot of things. I was down there on the floor before, you know, pregame, uh, during pregame shoot around, and Tyler was super vocal and kind of directing traffic a little bit. And it just does feel like he's been a really solid energy and presence on that bench and, and something that I, I, I definitely think has helped. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe it just took some time for him to find his footing on the staff just being around the program and, you know, not wanting to start too early, having too loud of a, vo- of a voice. Uh, but it does feel like once he kind of found his groove as a little, you know, student assistant on the bench, it feels like The team has kind of rallied around him and with him. And, you know, maybe I'm just overthinking it, but I, you know, as a couple comments brought it up, I I do think that there uh, is something to that. But uh, do you think it's helped?
1: Do do you think his addition has helped the players more? Do you think it's helped Cal more? And not, and maybe, or is it hand in hand? Because Cal has probably shifted a lot of the attention during games and in games and stuff to those conversations on the bench now. When guys walk off, which guys don't come out of games much right now, I know, except unless it's a timeout. But you know that you see Tyler in Kaysen's ear often, you know, talking to him on the bench or during timeouts. And I, I feel like that a guy that's been through the fire with John Calipari at Kentucky and has been to a Final Four and and knows what it takes to to get to that game as a player, he's the only dude on that bench that knows that. No one else knows what it takes. Uh, no one on that coaching staff. I mean, obviously they, they know as coaches, but when it comes to, to players and, and things at Kentucky, like they don't know, but Tyler has lived it. He knows exactly the pressure that Kaysen Wallace is under. He knows the same pressure that Antonio Reeves is under. He's felt it. He's lived it. And I feel like those guys can feel that from him. And I feel like that's been one of the biggest additions to, to what they're doing. And, and, and this year is Tyler Euless's impact on the team and just his positivity and maybe pointing guys in the right direction and saying, look, it, and the biggest thing is, is it's going to be okay. You know, you're you're going to get it figured out. You're going to get it right. And just having that voice on the bench, I think that's been a big deal. To the level that, that he trusts. Tyler, I think Tyler
0: was the one guy, you know, the, the, the guy that, that he leaned on more than, I guess just like in terms of an on-court coach and as a leader, I, I don't know if Cal has had a player that he trusted more to just say, all right, you can make these calls. You can make these decisions, uh, I feel like he wants to be a little over-involved with guys that, that he doesn't trust as much or, or or haven't come along as far. Tyler, he had ultimate trust in and I think that that has translated to the bench. I, I think Cal knowing that if Tyler sees something, he trusts that instinct. If, if, if Tyler has a, a change of heart or, uh, yeah, this isn't working, we need to go this direction or, or whatever the case is, I think that there's something to – that trust, and if if Tyler speaks up and says, hey, I think we need to do this, I don't think there's anybody on the roster that if he had that same input, that Kyle would go, gotcha, let's let's make this happen. And there's a lot of value in that. And I, that's why I, I trusted that move so much whenever it, it happened, because that leadership and that he was an on-court coach during his time at Kentucky. And, and Cal, I don't think, has ever raved about a kid more than he raved about Tyler eulis because he he knew he was the floor general. He, floor general. he knew that he was the guy that was capable of, uh, you know, running the show while he's kind of focusing, putting his efforts elsewhere, uh, grooming the bench, figuring out timeouts, you know, drawing up future plays, looking at the defense, whatever he knew that he had a, a coach that was there seeing things unfold with his own two eyes on the floor. It's so much different than being on the sideline versus on the floor. And Tyler has done both under John Calipari. And uh, I think that value is just, is absolutely huge. And, and uh, I can't remember who um, John P. Ryan says, I bet Eulis has helped Kaysen a ton. I don't think that's a, a coincidence either. Kaysen has emerged as an unbelievable playmaker down the stretch his court vision i think he had nine assists Uh, again his assist numbers are just unbelievable you know turnovers are still high but the way he plays results in turnovers i think because he does kind of have a a very aggressive kind of creating for himself while also creating for others i I think that does lead to turnovers at at times and we do see him a, a tad bit reckless, but it's it's a comfortable reckless because you know that the reward is going to be so much greater than the risk more often than not. So uh, I do think that and has helped him quite a bit, and I do think that there's a lot of truth to that. So um, I'm very grateful that Tyler Uless is on this staff right now and on this on this bench, because without him, you know, I. I Maybe things would have turned around the way they did, but but I, I'd like to think that there's at least some uh, some level of um, you know something something to it. Let's go to some of these comments here. Uh, Connor Riggs says, "Ulyss and Rhonda will help Dillingham and DJ next year so much." I completely agree. I, I think that those two together uh, are going to be excellent, and, and I'm really excited to see those possibilities. And um, you know, just watching watching Rob play. Uh, to close out his overtime career. He's been so good. It's so much better than I saw him to start with. He really has developed and just matured. There's so much maturity to do that he needed. Uh, so I do, I'm feeling a lot better about that possibility. I do think that Ulysses will uh, have an impact on that as well. Um, and I, I guess there were a couple comments about, you know, the Savier impact. I know we've been talking about Kaysen and Tyler Ulysses and the impact on that, but the other dynamic of that, Sean, will how do you think that's going to go? Assuming that Saviri is able to give it a go, say going into SEC tournament, how do you expect that dynamic to shift? Do you think that he's going to be a 10, 15 minute guy? Do you think he plays at all? How how much do you think he plays and how crucial is it that he plays?
1: As needed is what I will go with. Cause I, I made the comment earlier that I don't think John Calipari is going to change a thing. I don't. Cause if you start messing with things, you might not get it back, so I would say as needed, spot minutes here and there. If there's foul trouble at one of the guard spots, and I see, I, I think Savir would play. Uh, if if there needs to be somebody needs a breather, if Kason needs a minute and a half, two minutes, maybe, maybe you're getting close to that media timeout, and there's a dead ball, and you want to get that extended break of maybe 35 seconds and whatever, and then the media timeout as well. Then I, I could see, you know, Savir playing some minutes there, but I don't think the role is going to be significant. But I think it could be if Savir buys into whatever that role is. So I'm not diminishing what the role could be. If it's five to seven or seven, eight, nine, ten minutes a game, then go be the best guard off the bench in college basketball that plays nine or ten minutes a game. Like I think that how he accepts whatever that role is for him is going to be the the determining factor in whether or not this works for Kentucky or whether or not it doesn't work for Kentucky. But I don't see Cason Wallace coming off the floor very much. I don't see Antonio Reeves coming off the floor very much. I don't see any of these dudes have been playing basketball for the last two to three weeks coming off the floor at all. Uh, CJ's role is another one to watch too. I don't think that that's going to get back to to what it was early in the season. I don't think he's going to be climbing 20, 25 minutes or anything like that. I think you'll see some games where he'll sneak into double figures depending on foul trouble because we know it happens. Right now, Kentucky has been avoiding that in, in this recent stretch. That's another note. I know Jacob Toppin, obviously the other day, uh, Fouled out, But when it comes to what they're doing, they've been able to stay out of foul trouble. And that's been another plus is because they've not had to kind of dive too far into that. But a do is, is getting minutes and stuff there. So I think a thing to watch is, is it Savir or is it a do? I don't know. Like it, it, I think it all depends on how roles are accepted and who accepts that small role best. I hope it's Savir because I do think he can help Kentucky in spots. But if not, I, I don't think Cal's going to mess with it and, and kind of put all of his eggs in a basket and just kind of force it because you don't want to force anything this time of year. If it doesn't fit, don't try to throw it in there. If it fits and it helps you, do it. But uh, somebody asked me about Ken Palm and wanted me to touch on Kentucky's number when it comes to uh, offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. This was a text message. Uh, that defensive efficiency right now, Jack, is at 78th. I'm not sure what it's been in the recent stretch of play. Uh, but Kentucky's offensive efficiency is 13th and and 22 overall in Ken Palm. My note is this. Look at a team like Tennessee who is first in defensive defensive efficiency, and I think they're 62nd in offensive efficiency. I would rather be Kentucky's numbers than Tennessee's numbers, and here's why. Tennessee's going to struggle to score points when you get in that NCAA tournament. So, I think Kentucky's efficiency offensively, we know that scoring points wins you basketball games in March. Guard play wins you basketball games in March. I'd rather have the more efficient offensive team than the more efficient defensive team, in my opinion, especially when you get into tournament format where guards take over and the game kind of, it does slow down at points in postseason play. So, I think the more efficient offensive team, honestly, I think it wins out, especially when you get to that part of the season.
0: Uh, and it's such a will to want to with defense that I feel like this team and I've thought this from the beginning that it's never been a a a physical inability to play defense like Jacob Toppin has never not been able to be a 6'10 you know long wingspan highly athletic guy like that that should on paper translate to being an elite defender at least a high level defender Uh, and that's been my I guess one of the biggest frustrations that I had earlier in the years cuz it just felt like engagement it just felt like defensive lapses getting beat back door things you know elementary grade mistakes that you like that that are should, are so easily cleaned up they just kept continue to be made over and over again and that's why it just it never made any sense to me and I always just kind of bet on that and that's why I was so concerned earlier in the year that if it was an offense uh, an offensive issue where it's just broken at that point, how do you fix it? How do you fix it if the rotations are wrong, or how do you fix it if uh, if shot makers just don't make shots and you know shoot yourselves out of the NCAA tournament? Like we've seen so many teams, you know, Alabama has done it every single year for who knows how long under NATO. It's like what happens when that becomes the case? Your offense isn't firing on all cylinders, and and that was my my biggest frustration. Defense is it, that is an effort thing. Chris Livingston struggling defensively earlier. And seeing his growth, I think is because of uh, you know him being comfortable in his role and understanding who he is as a basketball player, and saying, "All right, I I got this. I can I can I can fill this role and do it to the best of my ability." And, and I think if everybody does that, and John P. Ryan says, "I don't think that Reeves, Frederick, and Wheeler are good defenders. I think Wheeler is a good 94 foot defender. I don't think he's a good half court defender." Uh, Antonio Reeves, I think, has gotten a lot better, and I think CJ Frederick is a high level. Effort defender. I think he's kind of more of a fun, a, a fundamental like kind of quickness defender. Like that, that's where his struggles come from. Uh, but I think he at least tries, and I think the effort's there. But but there's so many other physical tools around those guys that should be able to compensate for them. I think that's what I liked so much about that Auburn game is it, the defensive lapses were made up by other people doing their job on the back end. Or on the on the you know help side, whatever the case is, I, I think that's that's the, this team's growth. If you can continue to be pretty dang solid offensively and just good enough defensively, this team can beat every team by in the way that they did because they have so many tools and because they have all of the pieces necessary to do that. So I, I think it's it's I 100% agree. I think it's often if this team is firing on all cylinders offensively, defense, I'll take what I can get. And then it's a tournament and trust their ability to, to figure things out.
1: Yeah. And I, I really like to another factor going back from last season's tournament to this season's tournament and, and just the roster makeover in general. I like that Kentucky has a perimeter defender like Kasen Wallace on its roster that can lock up and guard the opposing team's best perimeter player. Uh, you know, Savir was in that role some last year, like they they tried to do, and I know they would run Jacob Toppin on, on some perimeter players as well. So I feel like the overall mix of what Kentucky wants to do, like maybe the defic- defensive efficiency numbers aren't what you'd love to see them, but I think that they've got dudes in different spots. You've got Toppin who can guard long wings and uh, you've got Chris Livingston that, that has some size and can do some things, but you've got that on ball defender and that perimeter defender in case of Wallace, that two way guy that can kind of lock up the opposing team's best player. I really, truly don't think Kentucky had that a year ago. I know Tata Washington was in the mix there. You had Davion Mintz, Kellen Grady, Savir, but I just feel like they didn't have that, that, that bulldog defensive mindset that a Cason Wallace has where he can shift the game in a couple of plays here and there with his defensive energy. And I think Kentucky has that. And I think that's a big thing when you get in postseason because guards kind of dictate the game in March. And you not you need something to negate that. And Kentucky's got it in Cason and they've got the uh, the long, lengthy four-man four in Jacob Toppin that can do some things, and they've got the rebounder in Oscar Sheboy, and I know he's still he's getting better in pick and roll and, and ball screen coverage, but there's still a lot of room there for improvement, and Kentucky, I'm sure, will, will, will come up with some game plans and stuff and whether how they're going to defend ball screens uh, depending on game-by-game game and scouting report, but I just think that this team has the makeup to be better defensively in postseason play, even though the Ken Palm numbers don't show it, if that makes any sense at all.
0: Yeah, I like that. Miles' voice, Livingston's becoming the garbage man, cleanup specialist. I I agree, man. Him and Jacob. Jacob, they were both phenomenal cleanup specialists uh, in that win. And um, you bring up the defensive – was the breakaway dunk with Livingston, that was – was that Florida or was that Auburn?
1: Uh, Auburn, the second half, right? I'm pretty yes. sure it
0: was. So it it was. So so Cason got the uh, it kind of free safety across the middle, got the pick, and then threw it up ahead to Livingston. I think that was just so, yeah. I think that was, the was second, second half.
1: half. It was second half. It was in the midst of that big run that they had. Uh, I think it was after one of Reeves made threes. I believe because yeah. then because the the roof of Rupp almost blew off when he did that. So and, and in the that, past, but
0: was are talking about. Like that play is what you're talking about. That's an NCAA tournament play that, that that changes the trajectory of, of, of a game. Like that is the, you, you, you kill the momentum on one end and then you flip it completely for a breakaway punch. And Chris Livingston gets hyped. The whole eruption zone goes crazy. And and I just think like, say Kentucky gets placed in Louisville, say they, they're in Columbus or, you, you know, one of those favorite, or even if they get to, you know, Houston, if, if, they get to the final four, whatever, you know, Kentucky fans are going to will this team across the finish line, wherever they go. So if you get those game changing plays by the game changing talents on this team, like case and Wallace is, I think that's a difference. And and that, that is a tone setter, a a momentum shifter. And I agree. I I think case and Wallace, the game, the, the tournament, will come down to if if and Wallace can continue to make plays like that and continue to just make shots uh, at at the way that he did. It's very, very exciting. And I don't know, two games left in the regular season. And
1: it's hard to believe we're here at this point. Like it's hard to believe that there's only two games left in this regular season, but man, the, the overall mood and the feeling is just significantly better than what it was just two weeks ago. And and I know people that, that listen to this show. They they love us when we're we're praising. They probably want to tune out when we're criticizing. But like I don't think anyone wants to see this team play well more than we do, Jack. Like we don't want to come on here and and give the oh goodness, Kentucky's on the bubble or Kentucky's going to miss the tournament again. And all this stuff. We want to be talking the way we're talking right now. And and I give John Calipari a ton of credit for the turnaround. Uh, I think you got to give the players even more credit for the turnaround because that's who has the hardest job. And uh, I think that this team is something happened, something sparked after that game against Georgia and closing out Mississippi state, the way they did on the road, getting a quad one win and a, in a bubble matchup, both those teams are right there on the bubble and then following it with the win against Tennessee and then what they did at Florida and now Auburn, this team is playing with a lot of juice right now and a lot of energy. And it's got energy from the, the, the head man all the way down to the last guy on the end of the bench. And I think that's the biggest difference.
0: Let's uh, talk a little bit about senior night. We got an update from UK where all six seniors will go through the senior day festivities. So we'll get Oscar Chibwe, Saver Wheeler, Jacob Toppin, Brennan, Canada, C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves. All six will go through uh, their senior day festivities. And I like that move. I think the only time we've ever seen a Kentucky basketball player. Walk twice at senior day was Davion Mintz last year was the first. Um, and I I think because of, uh, like, why not give these kids their flowers now? Like, why can't Jacob Toppin, no matter what his decision is, I still expect him to go, but why can't that kid get his flowers for the turnaround and the, the season breakthrough that he had? Like, that's an amazing moment that he deserves. In particular, Jacob deserves. Antonio Reeves, the guy who came from Illinois State, found his footing, emerged as Kentucky's, ultimate green light scorer, I'm going to go take a game over with my my shot creation and and shot abilities at at all three levels. That guy deserves his flowers. Savir Wheeler, a lot of hell he's been through. Last year, this year, the ups and downs, I want that guy to be able to walk through that paper cylinder that's that paper ring or whatever I want him to walk through that and get a a standing ovation from the Rupp Arena crowd because I know that fans will celebrate Xavier Wheeler and what he brought to the table in his two years at Kentucky I don't think he comes back next year but that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve that moment and the opportunity if he by some chance does decide to come back get it next year too if any of those guys CJ Frederick is is a really tough decision to make it would not shock me at all if he said you know what my body is is you know isn't Continuing to to you know let me play the game that I love at the level that I have been accustomed to since he was you know first picked up the basketball. Like I understand he has a tough decision to make, and I personally you know, I think when push comes to shove he'll end up coming back. But he deserves the right right now to get the flowers that he deserves for you know fighting through the injuries that he has and playing the role that he has as the veteran. Uh, and I, I am looking forward to all six of those guys getting their flowers that they very very clearly deserve.
1: I agree. I agree with you. They all have the the right to go through that and to be celebrated. And whether they come back, they can go through it again. Uh, the same way we saw Davion Mintz, you know, do his thing. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see those guys get honored and recognized. And the ovations, they, they've all given a lot to to this university and to this program. Uh, one question I have for you, though. Cracking back into the top 25, breaking back into that. And I know it's low. It's It's at 23 in the AP. Any concern about a team that maybe found a chip on its shoulder being out of the top twenty-five for so long, getting playing its way back in at all? Do you? I mean, I don't. I really don't think anyone on this roster is going to look and say, "Wow, twenty-three right there beside our name, man, we're really doing something." But anything at all, because I think a, a lot of fans would probably tell you that honestly, they they were fine being out of the top twenty-five, given the way Kentucky was playing. So don't you know? Don't push them back into that top twenty, top fifteen right now, but. The AP poll doesn't matter. What matters more is where Kentucky's at when it comes to to resume and quad one wins and things like that. But any concern at all about maybe getting a little bit of recognition for what they've been doing and some positive praise? I know uh, some people picking on to win the SEC tournament and things like that. Like anything about the maybe the poison that John Calipari and some of these coaches talk about creeping back in when you got a team that's playing so well, kind of flying under the radar, and now they're not?
0: It is – I mean – this team has listened to the noise that on occasion this year and why, you know, why should we just assume that they won't fall back into that? And, and I do think that, that something has to give, like I, I do think that I want to believe that at this point they saw them fall back. They saw them fall back into the trap of that stuff. And, you know, they, they went on their four, uh, five game or four game winning streak, lost it, uh, against Kansas Uh, And then they had the the, they won six straight in the SEC and then lost back to back uh, against Arkansas and Georgia. I'd like to think that those slip ups are done, that they do understand that. All right. Who cares what we're ranked? Who cares what we are in the net or what the seating is or what the uh, you know, what we're going to be in the SEC tournament, whatever that is. I, I feel like when push comes to shove, this is a team that. At this point in the year, the the some like once this refuse to lose mentality kind of kicked in, and the the mantra came about. Like it feels like ever since then is when they have actually bought into that. So I'd like to think not, but the proof isn't necessarily there to you know kind of prove otherwise. So I guess we are in wait and see mode with that. But it is something to to definitely definitely keep in mind. But I I'd, I'd like to think, and I am going to choose to believe. I'm going to talk us into this that they that they are going to do this i'm going to speak it into existence because i think that's the clearly a a john calipari mantra going going in right now but we talk them into and out of the ncaa tournament
1: yeah and uh they're they're definitely they've they've played their way safely in i believe like i I don't see any scenario where this team isn't in the ncaa tournament and they've, they've got a game against vandy on Wednesday night, then a road trip to Fayetteville, then you're in the SEC tournament in Nashville, and it's going to be officially March here in just a couple of days. So uh, when it talks to seeding and resume and where Kentucky is going to be, have your thoughts changed at all on a ceiling for what they could be? I know you and I just a few days ago said probably a six seed is probably, or seven probably most likely depending on how they play out. But I'm changing my mind a little bit, Jack. I'm starting to shift it and say a five is where I'd put the ceiling. I don't think they can go higher than a five. There'd have to be a lot to kind of go crazy and some teams kind of, but, but here's the other thing I'll say. If you can climb as much as they have in recent weeks in 12 days and change the overall perception of the voters bonds, what does the committee do when it comes down to it? If Kentucky's got a plus 500 quad one resume, compared to some of these other teams, and they're playing good basketball at the right time, what all factors go into this decision and where Kentucky's at. Now, we're obviously talking about a team that needs to win the last two and probably get to the SEC championship game and and stuff. We know that Sunday doesn't matter in the SEC tournament unless you're playing your way into the tournament off the bubble or as an automatic qualifier. But has anything changed in your mind on that ceiling and and where Kentucky's at? Like right now, I know Jelenardi has them as an eight. I think that's pretty pretty safe. I, I believe it's an eight. Yeah, they got them as an eight versus Boise State in uh, Columbus in the New York region. But I would say right now, I have them. I probably have them at about a seven or an eight. Probably an eight's the safest pick at the moment.
0: And I, I agree. And I I choose to believe that the committee will ignore the South Carolina game, or at least not weigh that as heavily as as they you know probably could. Um, something tells me. I mean, look. Indiana right now, I think in one of Lunardi's re- recent updates, they were a four seed. And I don't think the resumes are that far off from Kentucky's, you know, in terms of losses and, and quality wins and, and so forth. And I think when push comes to shove, I think that there's going to be some a, a pretty sub- substantial jump one way or the other. That, that some guys that are ranked a little too high right now, probably going to fall tank a little bit. Uh, so part of me thinks that if Kentucky takes care of business against Vandy at home, goes to Arkansas and wins that game, it makes, I don't even think they need to, you know, win the SEC championship, but at least get to the final game. I think if they do that, am I crazy to think that Kentucky can't get to a four? Just, I mean, because at that point they would have won eight straight games, unless you know, it, Say they win it all. Say they win the SEC championship. That's nine straight wins, I believe. Six and then three. Yeah, nine straight wins. You you don't think that's a four-seat? Considering the quad ones to close out the regular season? I don't know.
1: I know. I. It's, man, I'm, I'm telling you, like, I'm eating a lot of crow here because, uh, and I'm glad I am, and that's the thing that I want people to, to realize is I I love the fact that I was wrong. I love it because I thought this team was left for dead. I did after the Georgia game, and this is a this is a moment here where I want to say that you know I'm I'm sorry because I I really didn't think that this would happen, Jack. I, I didn't. I didn't think that they could get back on track. I thought that there was just too much piling up. I thought that the thin numbers. Putting a lot on some freshmen that really hadn't, you know, been playing well. And then, and then Kaysen comes out of nowhere and starts taking over. And you got Chris, who's building confidence every game, and, and Jacob Toppin finding his, his groove and rhythm. You had Oscar Sheboy, who looked like a shell of himself for a while this season, who just did not look like the same dude that we watched having fun playing the game of basketball a year ago. These guys were not having fun. They were emotionally beaten down. The fans were emotionally beaten down. Everybody was frustrated. We were frustrated. I'm so glad I was wrong. I'm so glad that whatever I tweeted after the Georgia game ended up being the biggest line of BS that I'd ever probably spewed on Twitter in my five years, six years of being on the app. I'm glad I'm wrong. And I'm just to the point now that I don't care if this team's a four, I don't care if they're a five, I don't care if they're a nine, I don't care if they're a 10. If they keep smiling the way they've been smiling the last two weeks, I think NCAA tournament time is going to be a lot of fun.
0: I agree, man. And and it is a very refreshing thing to see – a group of dudes that have gone through so much. And I talked about this on the last show. There was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that could have really tanked the season. And and it kind of made me take a step back after that Missouri loss and go, all right, this is deeper than basketball. There's other stuff going on. We need to reel it in and understand that, You know, my concern was, okay. sometimes it just tanks the season and and it is what it is. And it made me feel like it made me still feel bad for them and feel worse for it. But that doesn't mean that a magic turnaround was going to happen just because the, the, the games were there. I just thought because of how things were going, things that were going on behind the scenes leading up to a really tough finish of the season, it just it just didn't make sense. It just didn't add up. And and for them to turn around the way they did, and the guys having the breakthroughs that they did, Oscar, you know, Oscar shibway getting the the validation after starting out the year with the minor injury and the minor knee surgery that ended up being a significant one that took him way longer to heal than it should have, and Jacob Toppin hitting the rock bottom that he said that he had, and uh, just everybody, Damian Collins going through what we went through, or what he what he went through. It, this team had so many people fight back from a lot of different things that to see this turnaround and kind of get the reward. I, I hope that the, the end of season reward is, you know, much more significant and and they get that finish that that they deserve. But even just to get to this point where we're back talking about them as a realistic, you know, maybe not final four contender, but a team capable of making a run. It's really refreshing. I'm definitely uh, excited for it. And, and, can't wait to see where the next couple of weeks unfold for the cats. We got to get the heck out of here. The Coach Cal Show is about to start, and uh, work to I do. Know a bunch of fans are going to be listening to that. So let's get out of here. I have a quick message from a couple quick messages, actually, from our friends at Sumner County Tourism, Kentucky fans. We know you'll be making your way to Nashville for the SEC tournament. We say welcome back. Experience beautiful Sumner County, Tennessee, just minutes from Nashville. Discover. Our story, history, and strong country music heritage indulge in our delicious dining options. Relax in the simplicity of our lakes, parks, and farms. Connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, Tennessee. Head to visitsumnertn.com to learn more. Uh, Sean, let's get the heck out of here. Where can fans find your work?
1: You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry.
0: Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim, KSR, reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at SportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back Thursday. We'll do, we'll do the same time, same place, 5 o'clock uh, on Thursday afternoon, hopefully after another win, after a senior day victory over the Vanderbilt Col- Commodores. It'd be uh, It's great talking about four straight wins, but how about five? I'm looking forward to it. We will see that.